Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here. And uh, let's uh, open our copy of God's Word again this evening to the Gospel according to Mark in chapter number 12. And this evening we are going to read verses 28 through 34 and uh, talk about the foremost commandment or the most important commandment. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you again uh, this evening to worship and adore you. You are worthy of our praise and we want to give it. We're here. We've chosen to be here just because you've worked in our hearts and as we heard this morning you're working in us to both will and to do of your good pleasure and so even the choice to be here we can't take credit for that because you are working in us we are here to worship and I pray that you would just make your presence known and sensed among your people. And I pray that you would open our minds, our eyes, our hearts, our spiritual understanding mm -hmm. to be able to receive truth from your word. And I pray that we would that we would see where we've come short, where we've failed you, and repent. And I pray that we would see where we can, how that we can follow you more closely, serve you better, and that we'd have the will to do it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beginning in verse number 28. And one of the scribes came up. And heard him, heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and that there is no other besides him, and to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices." And when Jesus saw or, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, 
you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, we have been going through this uh, uh, series of questions that Jesus has uh, uh, fielded from the uh, people who wanted to uh, uh, find a way to condemn him. And they were troubled because they hated him. They wanted to kill him. And uh, they wanted to find a way to arrest him and uh, crucify him or to put him to death. And, uh, but they had a problem. The people were very impressed with Jesus, the people as a whole. They'd seen the miracles, they'd heard his teachings, and, uh, and so they wanted to find some way that they could trap him in his words and cause the people to turn against him or turn, or turn the Roman government against him, if that was possible. They wanted to find some way to get Jesus on the horns of a dilemma, try, try to ask him a question that there seemed to be no good answer to uh, in order to uh, be able to murder him, to put him to death. And uh, the last time we talked about this uh, question that the Sadducees asked him, and we re remember the Sadducees was that group of people who had all the religious power at that time, even though they did not believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in, the, uh, uh, in miracles. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And uh, they only uh, embraced the five books of uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. And uh, so they came to Jesus and asked him about the resurrection. And they were being very hypocritical about it. And they had this little story. I don't know if it was a true story or not, but they were going to use it. I can almost hear the giggle in their uh, voice as they asked Jesus about these seven brothers that had the same wife. And, you know, Moses told us if a man marries a wife and dies without a child, that his brother should take his wife and uh, raise up seed to his brother. And uh, so there was among us seven brothers. And the first one married a wife and had no issue. And the uh, second one took her and the third. And likewise, and they all died not having any children. And uh, afterwards, she died also. And in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Because they were all, they all had her. And Jesus says in verse number 24, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, it's not that they did not know the scriptures as far as the verses or the words on the page or the parchments. 
They knew those, but they didn't get it. They didn't get it in their spirits. He said, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? Now he's going to take them right back to a passage of scripture that they embrace, <laughs> that they say they believe. And you see, they, their, their uh, profession is that they do not see the resurrection in any of those five books of Moses. And so therefore they don't believe it. And so he said, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush? He takes him back to the burning bush and uh, where Moses is called by uh, Jehovah. And then he says in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So he has uh, uh, exposed their ignorance of the scripture. And he told them that they didn't know the scriptures and they did not know the power of God. That God is able, the God who created man is able to preserve the life of man. And uh, so we talked a little bit about that. You know, I, I didn't have any notes except on this part right here. And those are the ones I forgot to say. But uh, there was, this raises questions about life after death, doesn't it? Is there life after death? And of course, we uh, know that the answer to that is true. But there's another question. Will we know one another? This whole situation that uh, they were uh, talking about was uh, uh, about uh, the relationship between a man and a woman after death. Well, will we know one another in heaven? And I think the answer to that is yes, because uh, we are people and, and we will still be who we are when we go to heaven. Uh, Jesus, when he arose from the dead, he arose bodily and it was the same body that he laid down, wasn't a different one. He was the same person. He was, uh, and Abraham was still Abraham. Isaac was still Isaac. Jacob was still Jacob. I mean, all these patriarchs that are mentioned were still the same people. The, same, the person who dies will continue to live. Jesus told Mary and Martha uh, when Lazarus died, or he told Martha, he said, uh, uh, Lazarus uh is uh, uh, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. But Lazarus was already dead. What was he saying? Was he saying that uh, there will never be a funeral with my corpse as the guest of honor? No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that this body won't die. He's saying that the guy that lives in here is not going to die. Lazarus didn't die. 
his body died. And physical death, as I said last time, affects only the body. And, uh, and, and so keep that in mind. We will be the same person in heaven that we are. Our loved ones who have died and gone to heaven, they are in a different condition. They are in a different place. They are uh, no more affected by the ills and trials and the fallenness of this life. But they are the same person. If they loved you before, they love you now. If they knew you before, they know you now. And they'll know you when you are in heaven. And there's, uh, I, I like what John Piper says about this, about the things that we will uh, have in heaven, things that we won't have in heaven. He said, if it's something that will enhance your joy of heaven and your enjoyment of Christ, it'll be there. And if it won't, it won't be there. And so that's a, that's a pretty good thing. All right, well, will we just be spirits then? Well, no, we're going to have a body. Uh, it seems like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that we'll have a provisional body before our, up until the time of our resurrection. But I can't uh, debate that. I'm not... Uh, I'm not sure about that, but you can read it and uh, see what you think about it. But then uh, there will be that time when we will have that resurrected body. And it'll be a glorified body. And uh, another thing that many people don't understand is that we will not be angels. And Jesus said we'll be like the angels not marrying and giving in marriage, but only in that sense. We won't be angels. We will be us. We'll be people. We'll be his people. So I just wanted to uh, throw those things out there. Now we come to our text for this evening. And... Uh, uh, we're talking about the, the most important commandment. My title uh, to my message is uh, the foremost commandment, but the reason I uh, uh, gave that to Debbie was because I just read it out of the NASB, and that's the term that is used there. But uh, it's uh, probably uh, better for to get the point of what Jesus is saying here and what's being taught here uh, to use it the way the ESV says it. Jesus answered this man that asked him the question, uh, the most important commandment is. So here we have a man who has uh, come up to Jesus and apparently he has been hearing what has been going on. And according to Matthew, in Matthew chapter uh, 22, and verses 23, or excuse me, 34 through 40, Matthew says this, 
But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And so uh, evidently this lawyer was one of the group of people who were trying to trip Jesus up and trying to uh, uh, catch him in his talk and cause him to uh, say something that they could uh, use against him. And uh, uh, the scribes were the lawyers. They're often called lawyers, and, uh, but the scribes were the lawyers. These were the people who were expert in the law. And the law was considered to be all of the Old Testament scriptures. That's a way you can uh, just call it, uh, instead of saying the law and the prophets, you can just call it the law. But the thing about it is they had a debate. They had all kinds of debates because they studied the law. They were experts in the law, especially those first five books of Moses. They were experts in that. And they had decided in all their studies that there were 613 specific commands in the five books of Moses. 365 of those commands were they considered negative commands, thou shalt nots. And 248 were uh, positive commands, thou shalt. Those kind of things. And so they had them divided like that, but there was even a further division. And I want you to get this. We've we got to get all this. There was even a further division in that they had a list of Weighty commandments and light commandments. And the weighty commandments are those commandments that were considered to be uh, imperatives. You have to do this. You have to obey these. And the lighter commandments are, you know, I hope you obey these. And so this was always a... Uh, if you didn't have anything else to debate, you could always debate this. Is this commandment that is in the on the light side, should it actually be on the, on, on the weighty side? Or this weighty commandment, is it really all that important? Couldn't we just move it over here? Or should we just do away with the list, this list altogether and obey them all? You know, that, so this is a... Uh, a constant thing that goes on with them. And so here is an opportunity for this man to come to Jesus and ask him about the most important commandment. He wants to get Jesus' view on it. Now, uh, it seems like from what Matthew says that he was hostile. He was one of those who was trying to catch Jesus in something. But then the way Mark 
relates it. It seems like that uh, uh, it's possible that in listening to all this, he has become a little bit softer. And, uh, and so he comes to Jesus and he has realized that Jesus is actually answering these people with great wisdom and he is silencing them. And so he asked him this question now. Which commandment out of all those 613 commandments, can you tell me which commandment is the most important? Which one of these commandments is the one that we've got to obey in spite of everything, even if we can't do the rest of them? Which is the very most important commandment. And Jesus doesn't even hesitate. Jesus answered, the most important is, so now we got to notice this, that he is saying there, there are commandments that are more important. There is a commandment that is more important than the others. And so he says the most important is, and he goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 to the uh, Shema, which is a, uh, a, some verses from Deuteronomy that they would quote every morning and every evening. These were very important scriptures. They, as I said, they quoted them morning and evening. They wore phylacteries. Do you know what a phylactery is? It is a little leather pouch with strings around it, and they put it on their forehead, and they put verses of scriptures in there, and I'll show you why in just a minute. And they also wore them on their left hand, and uh, so they wanted to be sure everybody knows, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm obeying the law. And they had mezuzah, which is a box that had those scriptures written on parchment, nailed to the doorpost of their house. And so, you know, this is uh, something that was very important. Let me just read it to you. Back here in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse number 4, here's what uh, Jesus quoted to this man. And this man ha uh, had to be very familiar with this because, as I said, they quoted it morning and evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your or the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's translate that. Hear, O Israel, Jehovah, Yahweh, our Elohim, the Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh with all 
your, your, what? You shall love Yahweh, your Elohim, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so... Jesus answers him with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all all your strength. Do you see those four alls there? Here's how this command uh, is commanding us to love our God. And this command is not a horrifying command, but the implications of it should be horrifying to every one of us. Because listen, he says that we are to love our God with all our hearts. That is the seat of our emotions. It's who we are way down deep on the inside, hidden away where nobody but you and God knows about it. That you, that no one else knows, that is your heart. And we're supposed to love him with all that. We could stop right there and say, that's probably not where most of us are loving God. We're loving everything else. We're creating idols over and over from right there. But he said we're to love him with all of our heart. With all of our soul. This is the conscious part of me. The place where I can reflect. I, can, I should love him with all of my awareness. And then he said I should love him with all my mind. That's my intellect. With all my thoughts. With every waking thought. I should be loving God and with all my strength. That's my physical person. I should love the Lord God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength. And he said, there's a second one. And my neighbor as myself. Now, can I ask you a question? If that is the most important commandment of all, then wouldn't it follow that it would 
it would receive the most violent retribution? Wouldn't you think that it would, if it's the most important thing and you fail to obey the most important of all the commandments. And notice, he didn't say the most important commandment is uh, uh, thou shalt not kill. He didn't say the most important commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery. He didn't say the most important commandment is thou uh, that a man shouldn't lay with a, another man like a, like a woman. He didn't say those things, and those are vile things, aren't they? But what he said was that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. This are the, the most important two commandments. And R.C. Sproul said it like this. He said, I haven't Loved the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind and all my strength for five minutes in my entire life. We think we're not too bad sinners, don't we? And let me tell you what the punishment for that sin looks like. Go to the old rugged cross with that bloody, battered man hanging there with the beard ripped from his face, the crown of thorns jammed on his head, the back hanging, the flesh hanging in ribbons as the blood pours out of him onto the ground, the nails in his hands and in his feet and the sword or the spear in his side. That's what punishment looks like for that sin. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. Oh, listen. Oh, what a sinner, what sinners we are. Where do you turn? I mean, what, what do you do? Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let's look at uh, Leviticus chapter 19. And this is where we get, where Jesus gets the second commandment. And he doesn't just tell us in verse number 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
I am the Lord. He doesn't just tell us that. In the context, he tells us exactly how to do that. Beginning in verse number 9, he said, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So there's one thing you can do. You can care for the poor. And I like the way God's, uh, God's uh, welfare program works, don't you? When you reap the harvest from your field, you don't reap every last bit, but you leave some in the corners and along the edges and uh, along the way for the poor. You don't gather it for them and cart it off to them, but they can come and get it. They get to work too. That's God's welfare program. But isn't it amazing that he... He's thinking of the poor and he loves the poor. And he says, this is how you love your neighbor as yourself. You leave him some of that. And here's another thing. Verse 11, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. You, you're not to steal or to lie or to swear uh, dishonestly. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. So you should be honest in business. And then verse 14, you shall not curse the deaf. You should care for the deaf. To put a stumbling block before the blind, we should care for the blind. But you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. So you'll be just in your dealings. You won't slander your neighbor, verse 16. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. Verse number 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. That goes without saying, right? If you're going to love him like you love yourself, you, you don't want to hate him in your heart. And uh, you, let's see, I lost my place. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. So if you need to rebuke him, you rebuke him. That is love too, isn't it? Right? Everybody, everybody listening? If your neighbor needs to be corrected, you can correct him too. You won't take vengeance. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. And you can find in 1 Corinthians 13 what love is like, what are the characteristics of love. And in 
Luke chapter number 10. You can read uh, uh, Luke's, uh, Luke's account where a lawyer, and I don't know if it's the same thing or not, doesn't seem to be in the same uh, uh, context, but a lawyer uh, asks Jesus who is his neighbor, and uh, Jesus gives him the story of uh, the Good Samaritan, and you can read that. So, the great commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one, speaking of Jehovah, and there is no other besides him. And, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Wow, he's, he's making some progress, isn't he? He is seeing that the keeping of the law is about the heart. It's not checking off a list of do's and don'ts, but it's the heart. It's serving God from the heart and doing all these things. You see, so many people made the mistake in the Old Testament. I can't help but think of, of Saul when he was told to destroy a, a city, <coughs> excuse me, or a people. And uh, he got to thinking, wow. There's some pretty good cattle here. God would really enjoy these sacrifices. And so he brings them back and he says, we're going to offer these to God. These are sacrifices. And Samuel said, God doesn't have as much pleasure in sacrifice as he does obedience. And this is the thing here. It's the heart. Jesus responds to him then when Jesus saw that he answered wisely he said to him you are not far from the kingdom of God now what does that mean what does he mean you're not far from the kingdom of God well the kingdom of God is right before him the Lord Jesus Christ he is the one who is the king and the Messiah the one who came to bring the kingdom, but you don't get into the kingdom by uh, just by understanding deep spiritual truth. You see, the thing that should have happened right then was he should have fallen before him and said, Oh, Lord, I need a substitute. I need someone to take my place because if, if this is the most important commandment and I am a failure in this one commandment, then there's no hope for me. And that's how you get into the kingdom is to repent and trust Jesus. And have him as the one who 
bears the wrath and the shame and the disgrace and the suffering for the disobedience of that sin. You see, he's the only one, the only, only one who ever loved the Lord Jehovah with all of his heart, with all of his strength, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and his neighbor as himself. He loved us so much that he took our sin and our punishment to turn away the wrath of God from us. And we should say thank you Jesus. Because all of us are guilty on that one, aren't we? And it makes it difficult to point fingers at other people. You, know, you, you cuss. I'm better than you. No, you, you've committed the most heinous sin of all because you've broken the most important of commandments. So we're worse than everybody, aren't we? But thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your truth. And I pray that you'd take these scattered thoughts and make them a blessing to your people. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've rescued us. Oh, to think of the wrath that should be ours. And yet you've absorbed it all turned it away from us. We thank you. Amen.